Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, my... Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gilmore and Guests. I'm John Gilmore. Today is September 13th, 2016, and a favorite of the guest, a favorite guest of mine is returning today. Diana West joins us from Washington, D.C. Diana wrote the very influential American Betrayal, which can be found at Amazon and other bookstores on and offline. And Diana, welcome back to the show once more. Thank you. It's wonderful to be back. I can't believe we've come this far. Uh, when did we last speak? It was before the conventions, yes. was it not? It was before the con- conventions, and then we hit kind of that August slump, lull, and now we're right back into the coming toward the final stretch. I'm not sure there's ever been a lull in this in this election season, though, Diana. Really? Well, you know, that's true. That's... Although it just felt kind of like we were in the I don't know. It felt, it had kind of a an August feel to me mm-hmm, as we were mm-hmm. working through the different uh, weeks coming into Labor Day. It's like everyone waits for Labor Day to hit the the final the final stretch. Right. Well, and let me do. Yeah, let me do oh. this. The, uh, the the low point it seems to me uh, when the uh, the Democrats mm-hmm. and the uh, media party, which I think is Ezra Levant's uh, term for the media in Canada. I think the low point for Trump and the high point for them was during and after the Democratic National Convention and the Kizer Khan uh, speech and his reaction and the Gold Star family. And why don't I set it up like this and you can take you can take it from there. I sense that that was his low point in terms of uh, agility, facility, uh, his instincts for the zeitgeist, and he left his hand on a hot oven too long. Whether it should have been hot or not, um, I think the media had a sense of blood in the water, and finally, this is the time when we can kill off the Donald Trump campaign as anything viable or remotely threatening to uh, Lady Macbeth. Um, I think it was shortly after that that he replaced Paul Manafort uh, with Steve Bannon, He'd already brought on Kellyanne Conway. But in the last four weeks, Diana West, I'm hard-pressed to think of anything substantive and serious uh, in terms of impacting the election and and, and the narratives that one is in control of uh, that he has done wrong since. What is your take as of September 11th uh, about where we are and what have you been watching and observing and what are you thinking about it? Well, I think you're right in terms of of the campaign finding its feet as the hoary cliche goes. I mean, it certainly has, and certainly the campaign shakeup has got to be the big factor there. 
Yes. I mean, I've been watching this. I've been keeping an election diary of sorts to try to track what the stories of these weeks, uh, as they go by, what they have been. And, you know, yes, you coming up, coming out of the conventions, we saw, yeah, the keys are con. I mean, frankly, th- that could have been played so well had we heard from the Republican side a discussion about how it was that the Democratic National Committee saw fit to put a Sharia supremacist on center stage of a convention, a national democratic convention, and that this was okay. I mean, it was, it was really an astonishing moment in American history that just kind of went by us for the most part and mm-hmm. erupted into a ridiculous media story. Uh, but yes, that was the blood in the water moment and they didn't get it. And it, and we, we went on. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these scandals so-called or these big media flaps that we've seen are extremely disposable. I mean, they really are stories without legs. Time and time again, there have been these crescendos that then die off as we move on to the next week. And one of the ones that I've been following, as you might imagine, is the whole Russia story, which I have continued to find fascinating as the media and the Democratic camp, uh, Committee and, and all Democratic officials and across the board left and Donald Trump's opponents on the right have continued to try to tie him to some sort of incredible Moscow plot, even as the discussion never gets to the reason that Hillary Clinton would not need any such plot (laughs) to be the best friend Vladimir Putin ever had, just given her record as Secretary of State, whereby we see the incredible approval by her State Department as one of the officiating bodies of the sale of 20% of United States uranium to a Vladimir Putin Russia company. This was the famous Uranium One owned, owned out of Canada, whereby in this business cycle you see the fabulous, I mean the kind of incomprehensible sum of $145 million coming from Uranium One directors into the Clinton Foundation. It, it, the story it, alone, I mean, just kind of blows everything out of the water, and it's it's really kind of an amazing fact that this is not ever really kind of gelled, and yet and yet we keep moving, we keep moving, and now here we are with this un um, situation as we as we begin September with Hillary Clinton's dramatic health crisis. On top of everything else, I mean, if we were watching this campaign as a weekly show, the election, or something like that, the Donald Show, <laughs> we would not believe this. This would be, we'd say, oh come on, this is ridiculous. I'm switching the channel. It is so fantastic to see the developments go along, and um, this is kind of uh, right now certainly sucking all the energy out of the Democratic side, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Trump seems to grow Mm -hmm. and become stronger and Mm -hmm. more clear and more confident as the Democratic side is having this disintegration moment. And, you know, who knows what next week will hold, but this is certainly where we are. We're actually seeing stories on the queue as you Google these things and watch 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 them play out on television, discussions of what to do if Hillary Clinton cannot run or will not run. Right. I mean, this is kind of an amazing moment. It is an amazing moment. And uh, let me double, let me cycle back for a second. Um, 
listeners who haven't read Diana's book, American Betrayal, uh, won't have any appreciation for this. But if anyone would know about Russian influence, it would be Diana West. So it has to be particularly rich for the author of American Betrayal to see these uh, faux stories about how uh, we're having I, – I, I don't want to name a name because I can't recall, but it was one of the usual suspects on our side uh, who said, oh, my God, you know, for the first time we have a Russian oligarch running for president. I mean, it's, it's completely preposterous, but if you don't know what you don't know, uh, right. there's just enough of a gloss, and they're good at that. Um, well, it's you know. true, and I, 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 I would just sort of to help people kind of think it through for themselves. You look at, for example, I'm in Washington, so I see the Washington Post all the time, and it's fascinating to me to see that the Washington Post has finally, probably for the first time in its entire life as a, as a daily newspaper, developed an, a, a sense of cultivating alarm over Russian influence in the American political process. Mm-hmm. However, the, the the culprit here is the Trump campaign. This is this is their their new, um, or not so new, but their this theme that they are constantly processing on the front page. And I think the the climactic so far piece came just a little while ago, a few days ago where they actually ran their lead story, Russia suspected of election scheme, and discussing the dangers of Russian influence on American institutions and including our uh, election system. And you just think, what? where have they been? We've had Russian influence. We've had Russian interference, disinformation, active measures ever since the, the Russian Revolution on, our, on all of our institutions, on all of our uh, uh, vehicles of, of, of media and, and education and politics, certainly, the infiltration has never stopped, and yet this is the time they choose to, to sound the alarm. And just to put that into even further perspective, not even when the FBI had to roll up that one dozen member cell of Russian illegals in 2010, which is not ancient history, we're not going back into the mm-hmm. Cold War or anything mm-hmm. like that, 2010, a dozen Russian illegals, these are people who are in deep cover, they were living as Americans here, they were not under their normal identities, they are intelligence agents who are planted here to be activated and to do duties along the way when and if necessary. They get rolled up by the FBI in 2010 because one of them, we, are, we understand, has become too close to an Obama administration cabinet official. And that cabinet official was identified in reporting by the crack intelligence reporter Bill Gertz, whom I trust mm. implicitly, mm. as Hillary Clinton. Unbelievable. Now, did the Washington Post raise the alarm about Russian influence in our institutions, in our political process, in our, our White House? Of course not. So, I mean, you have to start understanding that none of this is really about actually trying to present information or investigate stories. This is all about driving narrative. This is all about uh, manipulation of mm-hmm. readers, of their constituent uh, readers, which, of course, would be government and government people in, in Washington and, and influencing the media that follows their lead, et cetera, et cetera. So once again, you know, you can start looking at this and, and getting a larger sense of what is actually out there. And so this is where, again, you look at the evidence, you see the, <laughs> you see the pattern of behavior by Hillary Clinton in office, and then you see the, 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 the case being made against Donald Trump, and you understand this is just a vector, to me, this seems like a vector of 
uh, uh, political play. Now, does that mean that there's no attempt to infiltrate the campaign of Donald Trump? No, of course not. The Russians would, of course, be trying to get into there. Have they? Who knows? I certainly can't say no, but I will say that the FBI, there was a story very recently, the FBI actually sat down personnel, top personnel from both campaigns and warned them about foreign intelligence trying to infiltrate their operations. And what's fascinating to me about that is I'll betcha that many, many of these people, especially the younger people, and I would say younger, under age 50 in this case, had no idea what the FBI was talking about. Right. We've grown up, we've, we've seen generations educated and miseducated not to understand that influence is a major problem. It's a major uh, um, tool, weapon of war coming out of hostile countries, whether it's China, Russia, also our allies. I mean, this is something that goes on all the time, but you only really have to worry about it in terms of your hostile, your hostile relationships. And this, this, they actually had to tell them that. Right. Be careful right. of foreign people making friends with you because they could be intelligence agents. And you mm-hmm. just think, well, I'm glad they're, they're making that uh, point, but it, it's, it's rather late in the day. It is. So kind of a long, a long discourse on the subject, but it's such a bizarre obsession and and it just all of a sudden now so we have to sort of take some new looks at it not just right. take it at face value right well uh, a couple of things you said that the the stories um the anti-trump stories uh were without legs um i'm not sure what your take is but mine is the stories don't have legs uh because early on uh trump went after political correctness and uh, I think political correctness is the strength of a biased press. And it used to be if you said one word wrong, then you were out of luck, the campaign was over, uh, you crashed and burned. Trump did that on the launch pad with his comments you know, about Mexican immigrants and other things. Um, right. You know, That's just the way that it is. And so I think we have Donald Trump, win or lose – for dealing uh, a severe blow, um, I, I'm not so sanguine that I don't think it can recover, given, as you've indicated, uh, the organs of media, uh, entertainment, uh, education, and so forth, um, that it couldn't recover. But they're certainly on the ropes, and you know, it comes as a, as a surprise only to our liberal and progressive friends that uh, decent, ordinary Americans are tired of being called racists and every other name right. under the book. It's interesting. Um, well, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. And because I follow Twitter while we tape these things, because I'm a multitasking guy, President Obama has just said, um, I mean, because it really is remarkable, quote, Trump says stuff every day that used to be considered disqualifying. Welcome to the new world, Mr. President. Hmm. Yeah. And so he's going after the voters for not being, uh, I think, what the left wants them to be, which is low information and reactive and easily cowed. Um, Those days, at least for this election cycle, are gone. So it's interesting. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's 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 the it's, you know, political correctness. It's always a term that I, I bristle at. It just, it's not descriptive enough, but we'll, we all know what it means, so I'll just continue on. But it, because essentially it is about controlling thought through yes. controlling language. That's right. It comes right out of Marxism-Leninism, That's right. which most people have no idea about that because we never talk about it in those terms. But 
what Obama is saying and what the media has been telling us, they are losing control when they lose control of the language. Yes. So if Donald Trump is, is rough around the edges or blustery or imprecise or just says what he thinks and just feels that that is his right as an American citizen to say what's on his mind, that is like Liberation Day. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And it strikes fear in the left because that's such an essential uh, tool and element yes. of them being able to control and shape. Right. Yeah. And, and chasten and fear, you know, make us afraid and, and, and keep us cowed and really on the, on the reservation. If I can say that word, I guess I can. Donald Trump's running for president. Pocahontas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I don't know, even though you, you live in Washington, D.C. proper, um, I, I'm not sure if the political correctness could be any more suffocating than you find in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. It, it's, it's completely uh, absurd. And uh, there's some of us trying to fight the good fight out here, and I try to employ laughter because you just can't take it seriously. It's, it's well, One thing that I've been able to do in my little neck of the woods with social media is to have a number of people on the left who know me, follow me, interact with me personally or online, email, phone, whatever, you know, yada, yada. Um, and and so when I say certain things, they're like, eh, I know Gilmore isn't a bigot or whatever other you know flavor de jour of of character assassination they they want to uh, employ. So I, I'm sort of bulletproof. And I had somebody who is a well known Democrat uh, say to me, I- I'm not sure how we let you get bulletproof. I thought that was a terribly revealing comment because oh, yeah. you 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 can't um, you can't discredit me by you know the usual. Uh, techniques. And it is liberating, Diana West. It absolutely is. It's another kind of Independence Day. And it, it's fascinating to me that the American people, whether they know it or not, are responding to that. And uh, that's why I think, to your point about stories having short legs, it's just the latest name-calling. Why don't we do this, Diana? There were, there were three things were here on Tuesday. A week ago tomorrow was the Commander-in-Chief Forum that was moderated by Matt Lauer. That was followed by Friday night high-donor lefty fundraiser to which Hillary Clinton invited in the media, thank you, uh, at which she issued the basket of deplorables. Uh, You cut out. I don't hear you. Um, I'm here. Oh, okay. Go on. Sorry. Um, I was just going back to the last three uh, big events Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Right. Commander-in-chief. The, the deplorables, deplorables. And then the 9-11 uh, yeah. collapse. She didn't stumble. Yeah. Um, why don't we go through those three quickly and you can tell listeners what you thought of each uh, with respect to the Commander-in-Chief forum. What, what was your take on that? My take on that was I thought he did fine. You know, he, he got through it. I wasn't, I wasn't blown away by it. I know that he was, a, you know, he won in, the, in, in public opinion. People thought he did better than she did. I think it was more of a personality um, contest in that sense. I wasn't, I, 
I didn't, I think, think he could have been even better, and yet it really didn't matter. And when you think about it, what presidential candidate really is ever that great in these in these forums. He sort of, mm-hmm. I, put, I put George W. Bush in my mind, and I thought, oh, I'm sure he did better than that, because I used to worry so much about what Bush would say next. <laughs> so it was yeah. sort of a stress, yeah. Yeah. stressful to watch him. Yeah. So that was fine. I thought that was good. Well, what was your take with respect to, and, and, and for me, because I'm, I'm both fascinated and repelled by media, uh, the outrage that Hillary Clinton was allowed to be subjected to, gosh, I don't know, four really tough questions, yeah. including one from, I believe, a retired naval intelligence uh, man who said, if I had done what you had done, I'd be in jail. I mean, I, I, I did think, for me, the second half wasn't nearly as interesting as the first, simply for what got through the filter. Right. No, that's very true. And and Matt Lauer, given where he lives and and in his head and and in his career, that was that was big stuff. It was it was an important it was an important question to ask. It was a natural question to ask, but you don't expect that from uh, you know mainstream media types. So that was a good moment, and it was very clarifying to have the um, you know to have the the intelligence officer making the questions very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an important moment, I think, just in terms of making all of this stuff real, because you've seen the email story played so many different ways, um, not so many, but sort of two, I guess, is the better way to look at it, as a real story involving real real deep, dark, terrible problems. And then you see the Washington Post, for example, my hometown paper here, literally calling the private server Hillary Clinton's homebrew server. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. cute, ha ha ha, and mm-hmm. trying to say, oh, it was just a few, you know, problems related to that. So this was an important moment for people to see. Um, but you know, it almost feels like six weeks ago, after you get to deplorables and then to nine eleven. I mean, th- those are gigantic events that just, just completely dominate. I think this past period. Yes. And will be remembered, whereas I'm not sure the Commander-in-Chief Forum will, will be remembered, really. It, the deplorables, wow. That was incredible. <laughs> the Incredibles. That was, that was, you know, just an incredible moment. Um, yeah. And we see, we see how it plays. And the Trump campaign jumps on it fantastically. I would, I would credit, you know, Kellyanne Conway and Steve Bannon on, mm-hmm. on, on that move. Very mm-hmm. fast, very agile. And such an important message. Um, America, you vote for Trump, you're deplorable in the eyes of not just Hillary Clinton. I mean, this is very much a theme that we've seen for anyone who's discussing this election, and that would include the never-Trumpers. I mean, certainly deplorable would be one of the nicer words in my own lexicon of anti-Trump rhetoric that I've collected on the right. I I confess, Diana, and and I've given you some submissions during this cycle to that, and I'd forgotten that it existed and that you had done that. And uh, well, one thing that we should we should say is uh, the Rick Wilsons, uh, the Bill Crystals. Um, Crystals, one of those ineffective conservative intellectuals. Uh, Rick Wilson, you know, he wasn't getting hired because consultants were sidelined by Trump. And boy, uh, you know, there, there's no scorn and rage like a consultant not employed. Uh, what's interesting to me, and I, I remind people here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Everywhere and at any time, Trump is, according to them, supposed to have been behind by 10 
or 15 points. So, right. so that's what we were told. And in addition to that, uh, the down-ballot races were supposed to be decimated by this, you know, oligarch who we just got bamfoozled right. into our having nominee. as our nominee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so it's fascinating because we forget just how dire um, their warnings were and how utterly incorrect they've been. And yet they offer themselves as the salvation for the Republican Party, which hasn't done much for the nation lately when it even does have majorities in Congress. And and so I think that's something for, for listeners to keep in mind. All of what Diana is going to be talking about forward and up to this point isn't supposed to have been happening. We're, we're supposed to have uh, instead, I guess, have a discussion about how foolish we were to be Trump supporters. Diana was right from the beginning. I was a Scott Walker guy, probably proximity to uh, a governor of competence and a Republican Party of competence in Wisconsin. Uh, and then after a moment of what's going on, up is down, I understood what was happening with Trump. And we could be uh, as old as Methuselah, and we'll never see this again in our lifetimes. So it's it's very exciting, and um, I'm, I'm delighted that it's actually happening. Um, the, the deplorables, I, I found is interesting, Diana, because I think it was Dana Milbank maybe on Monday or before Hillary's collapse on Sunday, and he's in the Washington Post. You know, his his uh, bravado was, well, they're more than half. More than half of these people are deplorables and racists and bigots and homophobes and et cetera. And so it's interesting to see um, people on the left who want this sort of name-calling to be destructive, frustrated, and they think by doubling down on it, maybe that's the ticket. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know where we characterize the writer Jamie Kerchick. I guess he's considered a neocon. Yes. He's in the Daily News, I believe, today, essentially echoing the, the Milbank Hillary line that, yes, yes, they are. Yes, Sad. They are horrible. Sad. So, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's, you know, again, I think you and I have been calling it the great sorting. Mm-hmm. This, this really has been the great sorting, you know, really, really showing where people stand on, on so many levels. I mean, just how they conduct themselves as political or public people or writers or communicators of any kind. It's just been an amazing thing to, to, to see, get right down to the bone and see who, who is um, kind of human and who is, is, is engaged in the kind of ad hominem attack that has no consideration for the humanity of the opponent, who is, after all, a fellow American. And I think that's, that's what's been so shocking, because we've just never seen this kind of invective, um, certainly on our own side mm-hmm. against each other. So, mm-hmm. That's right. You know, that's really what's been so fascinating and why we can see these, these tectonic shifts coming Mm -hmm. or having come, Mm -hmm. um, to be sure. And, you know, what that portends will, will really, will really see after the election. I mean, goodness knows what this election will be. You and I are feeling pretty good this week, but I mean, it's still, it's still a cliffhanger as to whether Donald Trump can win, whether he can win or whether he can be seated as president having won, but having had the election stolen. I mean, this is a real problem. We know voting fraud exists. We know it existed. I mean, I remember the anecdotal reports from various uh, studies, reporters going out there trying to figure stuff out um, in the Mitt Romney-Obama election where you had, I will never forget, every precinct in Philadelphia mm-hmm. had 100% votes for Obama. Mm-hmm. And we know that's not true. I know that's not true because when I looked up the D.C. precincts 
Now, D.C. would never be a, a place that anybody would fool with because what's the point? It's mo- grossly or, you know, mostly, um, I shouldn't say grossly, it's mostly Democratic by far. It's only a few electoral votes. No one cares which way it really is going to go, but it's going to go Democratic. When I looked at all the precincts, there was not a single precinct in Washington, D.C., and that would include the late uh, Marion Barry's precinct, um, whereby there were not a few Romney votes. So we know mm-hmm. that zero is impossible. Right. So we know that there's fraud, and we know that there's... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. There's voting going on right now in North Carolina. I believe it started on Friday. Mm-hmm. That's uh, right. Early voting. That's right. This is exactly where the Democrats have traditionally uh, succeeded in all kinds of shenanigans. And I don't know that the Trump campaign is prepared for this. I don't know that they are uh, taking it seriously. I mean, seriously, I was talking to some people last week about this, and one suggestion was he should really take out a billion-dollar line of credit now and explain that this is about fighting election fraud if and when it becomes necessary. My suggestion was he could sell, he could put a building on the market or something. But, you know, to get a huge, massive bankroll that will take care of challenges that will become likely, if, if, unless it's a real landslide. If it's close, this is really what would need to be done. We have not seen a Republican candidate contest this kind of an election. That's interesting. Um, certainly not a presidential, and, and very, mm-hmm. very, very re- rarely do we ever see anyone contest um, election results. I mean, of course, Florida was notorious with the recounts, but that's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is sort of where I think there's a possibility for for defeat on the Trump side that I hope that they are taking very seriously because that is sort of a lurking issue out there. Um, but meanwhile, we don't even really know. I mean, who really is, feels confident about betting the farm that it will be Hillary Clinton as the Democratic presidential nominee actually on Election Day? We just don't know at this point with her her health situation. So very precarious. And, you know, I also wonder, too, I mean, we're looking at uh, hearings today over what the FBI was. They, they brought them back, the FBI, to say, why didn't you look at obstruction of justice, destruction mm-hmm. of evidence, mm-hmm. and down the line um, in terms of what they did not investigate when they were looking at her uh, her record involving the, the emails. I mean, this is sort of the other looming scandal. Um, does an indictment hang over her if President Obama determines that she should not be then? I mean, this, you know, it's, it sounds kind of crazy, but this is definitely a crazy election, and they're very, there's just a lot of moving parts. And then you start thinking, well, if, 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 if her health deteriorates, if, if, if they determine she cannot win, she steps down, what happens? What happens if Joe Biden becomes the nominee? You know, how does that change the race? What happens if someone, you know, the Democratic Party can essentially choose anyone that gets a majority among their leading officials. So what happens then? We don't know. Are we going right. to get to there? We don't know. But, I mean, these are still a lot of moving parts here. And uh, it's just astonishing to sort of be witnessing it and having these 
questions mm-hmm. at this stage mm-hmm. of the race. Yeah. Two points. One, um, I, I think Trump must be aware of something because he has mentioned that the system can be rigged. And yes. previously, he used to talk about that in terms of economics and crony capitalism and, and so on, in both parties, of course. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that's not just rhetoric, but they are keeping their eyes on the places that they, they need to. And uh, your point about the Democrats being uh, accomplished in this uh, is, of course, sound. It has a good provenance going all the way back to uh, JFK, um, at least. you know, yeah, yeah at least. Uh, and Richard Nixon will never be given enough credit for not challenging, uh, oh, I don't know, Illinois, for example, where it's, right. I, I hesitate, you're the historian, um, it's, it's almost uh, a given that that was stolen or rigged, you know, in favor yeah. of JFK. So that's what they say. Yeah, that's what they say. So it, it, it's fascinating. Um, and, you know, you don't need to worry about voter fraud in Minnesota when Norm Coleman was contesting um, running for the Senate the first time, or, you know, in Al Franken's first shot at it. Uh, his attorneys lost that in court fair and square. And Scott Johnson at Powerline has written the definitive coverage of that. There was no voter fraud. Um, fortunately, nobody likes to see it, so I don't want to say, you know, there unfortunately wasn't voter fraud. But he was simply outlawed. Um, right. The refs were fair, but if the other basketball team is better, then they'll probably score more points. And the Democrats got Mark Elias from D.C., who's extremely accomplished, and he knew what to do, and he knew where to find the votes, and he got them in, and Norm's, uh, Norm's lawyers went along with it uh, yeah. for for too long, and after a certain point, it became uh, irredeemable, <laughs> that word again, right? Because that's right, that's what right. that's well, what's interesting, too, because of a basket of deplorables, and then, yeah. and a friend pointed this out to me, uh, Hillary Clinton in that fundraiser last Friday, basket of deplorables was the firestorm, and rightly so. But she also called those people irredeemable, which which sounds in uh, theology. You know, you you are beyond redemption, right. and and in 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 a secular religion, which is what I think they possess, um, it was such an interesting uh, giveaway of of their mindset. And as you were saying, this is what they really think about an enormous swath of fellow Americans, and they hold them in utter naked contempt. And now it's being shown for the first time. It's it's right. fascinating to see and how Americans are reacting to that. Yes, and that and that is such a dangerous state of mind for if 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 she becomes president or someone like her. I mean, we already have someone who has that same attitude, but mm-hmm. it, it does become compounded. It, it becomes the currency. I mean, we've seen, you know, such a um, it's such a sea change and or or an intensification really in in this kind of rhetoric all around. And so that's where you become quite concerned, um, rightly so, about just you know the law and and safety and what will happen. You know, the fate of the irredeemable in in such a society. Uh, making quotation marks, so it, it's it's a very serious, serious moment of revelation that really, really should should frighten people um, in just in terms of their own conception of how political power should be advanced and 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 decided. I mean, this is this is a really such an important such an important election. I mean, on so many different levels. We we both have read the Flight 93 um, essay, the very famous essay, the essay that just 
took off like wildfire that came out in the Claremont Review, mm-hmm. which, which sees the election as, or sees the country as a hijacked plane, and this is the Flight 93 plane, and it's up to the people to essentially take it back. And, you know, we don't want to crash into the woods, um, uh, you know, continuing with that um, tragic uh, metaphor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, I've, from the start, really had the same sense of foreboding in terms of this being the last election. That's frightening in that sense. Yes. And it's something, you know, you hear this, a lot of people understand it this way. You go from the Flight 93 metaphor to Michael Savage has a new book um, that I, I heard him on the radio this week talking about this same notion of mm-hmm. the last election, Scorched mm-hmm. Earth, mm-hmm. I think is his title. I mean, this is sort of where people are in their... Uh, some many people are in their understanding, not the conservatives who remain against Trump or on the fence or whatever position they're taking at this point, the never Trumpers, they seem to be kind of reconstituting themselves slightly. We've seen Mark Levin, who was just a very um, spectacular never Trumper, actually coming out and endorsing Trump, or at least saying he's going to vote for him. I wouldn't say it was as strong as an endorsement. I'll take it. I'll take it. Right, he'll he's gonna he's gonna vote for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know this is this and your and your friend Carly Fiorina yesterday said, yeah, uh, <laughs> let's support Trump. Thanks. I mean, right? You know, thanks. I know. That's, at, at least I don't Mark. Know how much she ever would have? Really at least Mark Levin didn't stand on stage and say, yes, I agree to support our eventual nominee. Okay, thanks. I mean, you know, he was not yeah. bound by any such pledge, but these others were. Um, and right. the Bushes. Uh, I I don't know if any dynasty and their uh, accoutrements have been sidelined faster and more effectively than the Trump phenomenon. And there's a lot to that. It's just it's beyond Donald Trump himself. Um, I don't know, you know, if there's been any other uh, political family that's been made irrelevant to the future going forward because they don't have any anything to say about how to go forward. And uh, petulant Jeb, uh, you know, you he's all yours, you know. Uh, Florida or Texas or wherever he's living. There was one uh, little quote from the Flight 93 election at the Claremont uh, Review of Books, and listeners can find it at uh, www.claremont. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. .org. And just search for the Flight 93 election. Um, I know Rush had most of a program dipping in and out of it, and then again the next day, and I think both days he crashed their servers, which is good. Um, but I thought this was interesting, Diana, because it goes, I think, to exactly what you're you're saying about how previous political activity on the part of Republicans, um, you know, all hat, no cattle. And this is probably halfway through. Quote, if you haven't noticed, our side has been losing consistently since 1988. We can win midterms, but we do nothing with them. Call ours Hannibalic victories. After the Carthaginians' famous slaughter of a Roman army at Cannae, or Cannae, he failed to march on an undefended Rome, prompting his cavalry commander to complain, you know how to win a victory, but not how to use one. And, aside from 2004's lackluster 50.7%, 
we can't win the big ones at all, close quote. Hence, this is our last shot. Right. Yeah. It, it, it does seem like That's the stakes very are very true. high. Mm-hmm. It's very true because continuing her, if she becomes president, continuing her husband's policy going back to the 1990s of moving all kinds of uh, illegal aliens into the system. I mean, this was a, a politicization of the INS that really should have become one of the articles of impeachment. It was something they were looking at back in the day, but did not, were not given time, adequate time to come up with the uh, proper charge. Um, continuing that policy, which registered, I don't know how many tens of thousands back in, say, 1996, which was their big focal point for re-election with the Bill Clinton administration. She has already promised that within 100 days she would, she would see to it that the amnesty would go through. Mm-hmm. She's ramping, all for ramping up all of the refugee resettlement. This would involve you know, tremendous tens and tens of thousands of Muslim immigrants coming from uh, those refugee-type nations. Um, it would be truly the demographic ending to any kind of constitutional republic constituency because people coming from these parts of the world have no connection to the Constitutional Republic. They are mostly motivated, and we've seen this from polling, and we certainly see it in their host countries. They are big government people. They mm-hmm. are people who want mm-hmm. the government to do for them. This is what we see. I remember being so struck by a 2012 Pew Hispanic poll that showed that Hispanics in this country, That's right. these were not even people away, yep. um, 75% believed that the government did not do enough. Right. So this right. is this is the orientation, and this is why when you say, "Oh, it's the last election," it's not it's not histrionics, it's not uh, melodrama. It truly becomes a demographic done deal, and this is what so many of these never Trumper types, and I don't know how many there really are in the commentariat. I don't know. I guess they're still out there, but they tend to completely ignore or not be have no interest in it. It doesn't seem to register, and they still stick with their core issues that become absolutely futile in such a political um, reality. I mean, whether it's whatever amendment they're attached to, whatever, you know, it just, it just, it, the whole thing becomes a completely transformed entity. um, And we move into definitely into very, very hard socialism. And we move into um, an unrecognizable entity compared to the republic we were 100 years ago. I mean, it just, it does not exist. The, the so phrase that's I believe... this is dire. Yeah, the, the phrase is fundamentally transform, I believe. That's the guy. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Yep. That's the one. And it is and, interesting uh, because, um, you know, in Minnesota, uh, the Republican Party is, uh, is, impo- is impotent, it's, it's weak, it, it doesn't know what it stands for. Uh, it's been a decade since we've won a statewide election. We'll probably lose the next statewide elections in 2018. Question, after a dozen years of not winning a statewide race, are you really a state party? We're going the way of California Republicans. I think that is writ small, what you've been talking about, writ large. And it's the demographic replacement. And and the American people, as, as you know better than most people, um, have been desperate to be heard on the issue of immigration. And they have been ignored. They've been ignored. And ignored. That's that's always the big um, trick and the big frustration. You know, how is it that this is consistently of 
of majority concern, controlling immigration, controlling the border, securing the border, and yet the people that the people send to Washington, our representatives, never get it together. I mean, it's, it's truly striking how it is that people come to Washington and are themselves fundamentally transformed, in, mm-hmm. in, in, at least in, it, it appears to be that way for so many. Um, it's amazing, and you, it's very correct to bring up California. This is exactly the pattern. California used to be the firewall yeah. for Republicans. Yeah. Up until 1988, the last election, George W. Bush carried California, um, but that was pretty much it. Uh, it's, it's, it is population... It's the Hispanicization of, of California. Again, the same kinds of political aspirations that we see in the Pew Hispanic poll, we see writ large in the state of California. And it's, it's not that hard to do that to the rest of the country with the kind of immigration policy that Hillary Clinton or, or Tim Kaine, I mean, you know, her, her vice presidential pick or whoever the, the Democrats um, parachute in, if, if that becomes necessary, will affect so this really always has been the number one issue. It was the issue that Donald Trump came in on. It was the issue that brought him to uh, national attention, electric national attention. It was, um, you know, just uh, the amazing Ann Coulter and her amazing book, Adios America. I mean, what a, what a tremendous feat of, of not just work, but timing yes. for that book. I yes. mean, and, and that Donald Trump, I remember hearing her say that, you know, she tried to get every candidate. There were what we started with 16 or 17 other Republicans besides Donald Trump. She got it to everyone, I believe, or she certainly tried. And I think it was only Donald Trump who really took her up on it and really, yeah, yeah. obviously. Yeah, I think she said uh, he got uh, approved for galleys or something. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think it, they all did, though. That's what's so interesting. Fascinating. That was, you know, we've talked about this from the very beginning, only because he was there, this outlier, that's this right. strange foundling from uh, <laughs> uh, the penthouse in, mm-hmm. in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, only because of that, we have this issue and we have this chance. And it would be so amazing, you know, to sort of see if he had decided to play golf and enjoy his grandchildren rather than run for president. I imagine you and I would be having a really kind of dispirited conversation about, oh, yeah. Jeb, Hillary. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. For some reason, Jeb just can't catch fire, you know? Go figure, you know? No, I think someone said um, that not since Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin has any author so affected a presidential election. And I think that is not hyperbole. When when I read that, I thought, that's true. That's just good, bad, or indifferent, however you feel. But for adios amigos... um, how what what what's the subtitle? How oh, liberals Adios America. Adios America, yeah. Adios yeah. America. How liberals want to turn America into a third world hellhole or something to that effect. Yeah, something you know, to that effect. Yeah, right. She she's known for her subtlety. Um but I'm I'm thinking now of another person. No, no, yeah, no, yeah. 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 <laughs> Talk about fearless, you know. Yeah. Um I did resent you the other day on Twitter when you had a picture with her. I you know, oh. I just kind of thought, well, <laughs> Nobody invites me to these fun things. And also uh, Rudy Takala, who writes for the D.C. Examiner, very good, originally from the Twin Cities. We don't have any even partially conservative media um, organs to keep that sort of talent. So, you know, talent goes where it it is appreciated. Um, But the other individual, uh, common citizen, and a citizen, I don't think even her – I said, but the other other individual – uh, a common citizen, Anne is a citizen, but anything but common, is the man from the Czech Republic who happened to be at the right time 
oh, at yeah. a historically right t- uh, place and and recorded that by now yeah. uh, historic and infamous video of Hillary Clinton seizing up, having some sort of of episode. You're not a doctor. I'm not. We're not going to play one in this podcast either, but the Democrats are now left with, with it used to be a joke. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Right. And I saw something in the Hill today where they contacted a, a Boston University, or maybe it was BC, uh, political scientist whose um, forte is political communication. And he said, how bad is this video? Well, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being catastrophic, it's a 15. <laughs> I, I, think, I think there are moments that bleed through uh, campaigns for the remainder, and I think this is one of them. What was your reaction when you saw what was happening? And I think, Diana West, short of fainting, you know, God forbid, during one of the debates, it, it's the most impossibly high-profile not a particularly, you know, busy news day. You know, it's somber. It's nine eleven, and so it it filled all the available space. What was your take, and what do you think its current and ongoing effects uh, might be? Well, the, you know the 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 take. I think that the, the it's so shocking to see a person, such a high-profile person, somebody's mother and grandmother, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have to remember, That's right. having that kind of, of difficulty. I mean, just looking awful. like she's about to die, yeah. or, you yeah. know, coming very close. It's, it's a shocking on, on the human level. It's tremendously shocking. On the Clinton level, it's, it's, you know, all, there's a whole kaleidoscopic array of, of reactions, of course, <laughs> That I think, in some ways, we miss the 9/11 symbolism. Given, you know, 15 years after 9/11, in so many ways, I mean, this is sort of. I look at Hillary Clinton quite often before this episode, and actually think that she represents so much. She embodies so many of her own and her husband's sins. Mm-hmm. I mean, this may sound a little weird, but. No. You know the old no. the, the the Oscar Wilde story, the portrait of Dorian Gray, mm. whereby the young esthete who lives this riotous life has a twin in his portrait, mm-hmm. which is hidden away, and he doesn't age, but his portrait does. Mm-hmm. And it's it the imagery is so apt for Hillary Clinton, except for the fact that it is she who is her own embodiment of all of this corruption and all of this 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 life that. I mean, it's just, it's such a commentary on America that she is, while Donald Trump has his deplorable following, Hillary has her enlightened following. Uh-huh. And, and this is where we are, where it comes down to these two people, and this is what the left gives us. It, it's, there's so much there that you'd almost need a whole program to even start probing some faulty levels whereby this act on that day by this woman... And it so happened that I, we haven't talked about this yet, but I had recently become more aware of the details of one of her very first acts as an adult, really, as certainly as a, as a lawyer, a young, uh, newly minted Yale lawyer mm-hmm. in Arkansas, mm-hmm. where she defended a rapist of a 12-year-old girl using every kind of legal trick in the book 
to get the client off whereby the young girl, who was a little girl, required stitches, was so wounded by this brutal rape, she was told by the doctors that she had a 99% chance of not being able to have children, and indeed she has not, that I was doubly, you know, kind of even more emotionally upset about Hillary Clinton going into this act where, you know, I've been used to thinking about her as just greed personified, like absolutely driven by greed and power. And yet when you go back to this case when she was 27 years old defending a, a, a rapist of a child, um, there's just another level of pain that she seems to um, manifest. And then you see her struggle and fall like that. And it, it just, you know, again, it's on this this kind of metaphorical level, it, it's, it's really easy to see how this can be happening in, in terms of metaphor, um, even as a human being, she's, she's suffering. Yes. So what are the Clintons are on yeah, our lives? Yeah, well, cancer comes to mind. I, uh, I, I do miss uh, frequently uh, Christopher Hitchens on any number of topics, and I think he would have taken great delight in seeing how the usual... Uh, oh, I don't hear you again. Really? I, I don't know what's going on. Can you hear I me now? No, but you said you miss Christopher Hitchens. Yeah, on any number of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and he famously wrote a book that wasn't read enough called No One Left to Lie To. And it was about the Clintons. Mm, yeah. And, you know, there, there's no one on the center left who had his fearlessness in uh, taking an unpopular position because he thought it was the right one. Um, and, you know, he has his detractors and I'm not fond of his trashing of Mother Teresa, to take one example, but you take, you know, you, you take everyone as they are. Um, and he had had their number for, for some time. And of course, he uh, was uh, ferocious in uh, mocking and trying to uh, extinguish uh, the ridiculous term Islamophobia, which is designed to shut down critical thinking uh, in a way yeah. that we haven't seen before. So there's any number of, of reasons to be sad that he's no longer with us. Um, and he didn't even have a chance to write about the Clinton Foundation. That's right. And, I mean, and that, you know, really yeah. becomes, well, if they ever achieved the White House, the, the Clinton Foundation would be dwarfed by what they could do with the White House in terms of combining greed and power. But mm-hmm. the Clinton Foundation is a very good run-up. I mean, it's kind of interesting if you go back to the old days in the 1990s, where the Clinton White House was selling seats on trade missions with Secretary of Commerce Ron Brown, mm-hmm, and you had mm-hmm. Hillary at the White House coffees raising you know, bags of money from Chinese representatives of the red Chinese government. And, you know, all of those things. I saw a piece in Life Set, and I'm, I can't remember the author's name, I'm sorry to say, but he was making the point that that was like the crude beginnings of the foundation, which has become the smoothly oiled... Uh, machine that 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 really kind of um, makes pay to play takes it to a level that we have not seen before because the audacity of it the shamelessness of it of public figures of ex-president <laughs> a secretary of state all these things combining with the uh, real oligarchs of the world including in Russia for access, for power, for money, all of these things around the world, making it their sandbox and, and you know, striking oil and gold and diamonds as they do it. And we've just not seen that before, but he was making the point in Life Set that this was just, it's a new iteration of what they did in the 90s mm-hmm. for 
re-election. If you remember right. the Clinton-Gore yep. 1996 yep. re-election, the Buddhist temple, just dirty, dirty, dirty money from China and elsewhere. The Buddhist temple. Yes, the mm-hmm. Buddhist temple. Al yep. Gore was there. Yep, all yep. of that. Yep. Um, you really need a whole cart of books to really keep up with them. Um, I, I literally have so many books in, a, in so many boxes, but we <laughs> haven't even had to go to the 90s in this election cycle. I mean, that's a kind of amazing thing. People, a lot of people, especially younger people, say 35 and under, perhaps. They, don't, they think that the problem really is only confined to the last 5, 10 years, um, whereas we've got a lifetime with these people. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just it's incredible that they are still walking. But I would say that the ultimate legacy of the Clintons is, I, you know, I, like, I have a penchant for this kind of thing, the death of shame. Mm. I think that mm. they, they made it... Mm-hmm. a practical matter to simply brazen things out, the worst things out that a normal human being would too, be too embarrassed. Embarrassed? Too they die a thousand deaths. Yes. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's almost like an alien life form, uh, just, just the mendacity and the lack of shame. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And and yes. and in real sociopathic, yes. I would imagine yes. if I you know mm-hmm. could diagnose and and yeah. you know could check with that with a with a real a real uh, doctor. But it, it, there's something there that is not normal. That's I think right. We could all agree. Yeah. And they've made that. And they're dangerous. Um, they're dangerous. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it, it's so odd because even though I know you only through social media and I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet. Um, Neither of us are people who would use phrases and terms that we have in this podcast and others, but especially this one because it's September 13th and here we are and the election's six weeks away or so. We would never engage so routinely in what would otherwise be considered um, hyperbole, but but it's not. I mean, we're trying to describe what's actually going on. Uh, and at times, words words fail me. Uh, I won't speak for you in that regard, but it really is. Yeah. Um, sometimes my head shakes so much, I think it's going to fall off, you know, because... Well, it's also improbable. Yes, that's true. It really is. That's and I true. think, you know, we were talking about why the Trump stories don't have legs. That's and true. I think part of the other reason um, that we were discussing earlier, another reason is that just, there's just no one to compare to the Clintons. There's mm-hmm. no one to, who has a record like this. Even an international businessman who's a billionaire who, who's, you know, worked in all these different countries with these different, I mean, all kinds of, of, of crazy stuff that must go on. And the more they dig, they, the less they seem to find. And then they spin these things like the Russian oligarch story, etc., whereby with the, the Clintons, there's just there's simply no comparison. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get to this strange phenomenon whereby such people in an earlier America would not have been permitted to stay in, in public life by social 
custom by right. manners and mores, somebody who did what Bill Clinton did uh, to his marriage, to his children, to, or his child alone, mm-hmm. would not have been permitted to be a public, have the public trust. And frankly, you mentioned the end of the Bush dynasty, which I didn't get a chance to say good riddance, which I would like to say. <laughs> but I, I think that one of the worst things, one of the legacies of the Bush, of the Bush family is recycling the Clintons. It's shameful. It is shameful, and I will tell you, I once I had the occasion to speak to Newt Gingrich once, and I asked him why he thought that that went down, and he really and he said he thought it was because the Bush family, the Bushes, uh, wanted to be uh, kind of in the same social swim as the Democrats of Washington and elsewhere. That it was almost a way of being—I don't think he used the word cool, but that was the implication—that it was their way of. Um, Re, you know, getting their own credibility with the kind of people they wanted credibility with. And that, that is my suspicion. I mean, I did suspect that. I also think that there's a, there's a political uh, reason there. I think they are very much of the same ilk in, in their relationships, for example, with Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, we go back, you know, can go back to years when Bill Clinton was, I uh, can't remember which Saudi chieftain, but he was roommates at, at Georgetown. The relationship uh, mellowed the University of Arkansas, I believe it was, got some gigantic $10 million gift from Saudi Arabia when he was governor. I mean, this is the same kind of things the Bushes were able to maneuver over the years. They have the same, they're very similar in so many ways. They have the same worldview in so many ways. So I think that there were political alliances there that, that uh, account for the fact that the, that the Bushes have not now come around as Republicans should do to support the nominee of their party. And I think that this is why you see the, uh, them sitting on the sidelines and perhaps not imagining that they really have left, imagining that perhaps Trump will leave himself and they will, or their, their dynasty or what, however their influence will return. But it's, it's a very fascinating thing. They really are birds of a feather, and they are responsible for recycling the Clintons. So that's why we're even having this conversation. Yeah. I, thanks to the Bushes. Yeah. yeah. I, I hate it when you're right, which is most of the time, I think, you know, because <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's too bad. They, they could have just done nothing and not associated with them, but, you know, he's palled around with them at Kennebunkport and other places. And, you know, they, disgusting. it is. And, and they, they bear some responsibility for that. And, and yes, I hear the refrain Bush kept us safe. Um, I, I get that uh, after nine eleven, of course, um, we but did that's nothing for our border. No, no, I no. That's that, Islam. Yeah, that's right. No, um, it's you know, Jeb isn't alone when he thinks of uh, breaking into this country as an act of love. You know that that's a Bush, right. that's a Bush uh, theme or, or, or commonly felt feeling. Well, Diana, we're coming up at the uh, end of an hour here, and I wanted uh, to ask you just a couple of things before you. Uh, get on with your day, and thank you so much for coming again on Gilmore and Guests, and I hope to do it, I suppose, realistically after the election, um, but if we have time oh, before... No, October surprise time. Okay, good. Well, we'll then, you know, all right, well, then <laughs> then I'll get in. Um, I'm I, I'm going to Athens, Greece for a week in early October, and I'm not quite sure why, but I'll have that discussion with myself off air. I don't know why. I'm, I don't know what exactly. Paris in November and then the attacks and then Istanbul in April and then all that's gone down. And that's the other thing too, Diana. We haven't touched on it because America is in such dire straits, but Obama has made the world by orders of magnitude worse 
and yeah. less safe for a generation. It, it is really uh, incredible how much damage uh, this incompetent, um, not oh, particularly incompetent, no, com- no, he's competent. competent. Yeah, he's competent. The world unsafe. I think yeah. it's, a very, it's a big act of competence. You're right. His, yeah. No, that's his, true. Uh, that's true. Um, one, one political thing. Uh, well, two. And and uh, before we uh, came on the air, and then I've seen it on Twitter since we've been speaking. Uh, Donald Trump is going on Wednesday now, tomorrow, uh, to Flint, Mis- Michigan, um, to talk about the terrible water contamination and problems that they've had there. Um, I haven't seen anyone in recent memory respond to uh, current events, current situations in in such uh, an astute way. And, you know, will he win Michigan? I don't know, but he's going to go there and talk about these problems in Detroit and in Flint. And I, I think he is running circles around anyone else who could have gotten uh, the nomination. Is that just confirmation bias on my part, or, or do you think it is the case that he is running a qualitatively different campaign now that he seems to be engaged and is firing on all cylinders? Well, I, I think so. I think, it, I think it has to be because he's not, he's not a politician, and he is a great man who does great things. I mean, this is kind of just part of the personality. I'm not sure that anyone suggests it to him. I, I don't know how the dynamic works, but just having observed him, I can see him saying, there's a problem there. I should go there. Mm. I mean, this is, this is sort of the drama of, of Donald Trump. This is why I think his, names are, his name is on buildings in, you know, one-story high letters. I mean, it's kind of, it's not an affectation. It, it really seems to be who he is, which is why he would go to Mexico, why he would go to Detroit, why he would go wherever there seems to be trouble or the need for... Um, a Republican to go and hear the problem in a place that's not considered, quote, safe. I mean, I think that that's what's exciting about the outsider with, with the vim and vigor that he has coming into the campaign. It really shakes everything up, whereby you can see the professionals saying, oh, well, we don't have a chance in Flint. There's no point in going there. And you just think, well... You don't have a chance because you don't take a chance. That's and, exactly and that's, right. That's kind of where he is. So, I'm stealing yeah, that from you. I'm steal- I, I, I'll, No, I won't steal. I'll give you credit. You don't have a chance because you don't take a chance. That's good. <laughs> that, that, that's about as, uh, as uh, succinct as one could possibly be. Now, speculation, because we'll talk um, after them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you something uh, silly. I try not to. Um, you never so, do. Uh, thank you. I, I, I'm not going to ask you how you think he'll do, yeah. but I will ask you what you think in this very altered environment. And as a preface, boy, two weeks ago, um, Matthew Dowd had a decent piece in the Wall Street Journal, five sort of current takeaways from what we've seen go on this you know, uh, unique season. And I think number three was advertising doesn't matter this cycle. You, you can look at Jeb in New Hampshire trying to take out Trump, nothing. You could look at between 80 and 100 million, I've heard different figures, of Hillary uh, spending money in the swing states, all with really no appreciable ability to move the needle. That's fascinating to me. That, that, that is new. And I don't know if it'll ever repeat in another presidential cycle, but for the moment, the sort of We'll just carpet bomb the opposition into oblivion, 
through, you know, ads, again, it's consultant 101, um, you know, that dog isn't hunting. So I think that's fascinating. We have three presidential debates coming up. I believe the first is the 23rd or the 26th, one of those two. Um, what what do you think the role of the debates will be this cycle? And, and what is it that um, you think Trump needs to do? Not Not how he will do, but mm-hmm. what he needs to do. I think the debates are going to be, in Trumpies, huge. I think the first debate is probably going to have numbers that rival the last game of a World Series or the Super Bowl. I mean, it, it, I, I can't imagine that it won't be the big event of the year. I don't know about the other two as much. Mm-hmm. Very, very mm-hmm. big date, the first one. And he has to be really good, and he has to expect that she is going to be in good form. No waiting around for coughing, no imagining her right. eating That's anything. Right. I, mm-hmm. You know, he, there's no, this could be a real lull if she gets goodness what knows what kind of treatment or is able to come back like Clinton's come back. So this is no time to uh, rest. And again, this is something that you and I have talked offline about this. He hasn't gotten to where he is by being specific. And yet, in a debate with her, who's very practiced on these things and you know extremely uh, studied, he does need to have some real facts at his fingertips. He mm-hmm. needs to have facts about Sharia, mm-hmm. the prevalence of Sharia among Muslims, for example, regular Muslims, not jihadists, mm-hmm. just regular people mm-hmm. who want to take away freedom of speech as we know it and replace it with the Islamic version, which mm-hmm. is no freedom of you know that kind of thing. He has to know those numbers, how you know two thirds. Right. to live by extreme Sharia, that kind of thing. He needs to understand, in his own words, what it means, this kind of demographic change. He needs to, he needs to add a few factoids to everything he already believes so that he comes across as very knowledgeable. No seat-of-the-pants thing. I really hope he, he takes up, I believe it was Laura Ingram, who was going to or, or is offered or is somehow being talked about as, as somebody who would take Hillary's role in practice debates or what have you. I hope he takes her up on it. I hope she's involved in that. She's so good on these, these really basic Trump issues like trade and immigration. Um, and I just want him to do some, some serious study. I'd like him to get off the campaign trail for a day or two and really prepare. I don't want him to walk in and just think, He's a great man. He's going to do great things. You know, bring it right. on. I think he needs to really take it seriously because he can, he can right. so capitalize on his momentum by turning in a fantastic debate. And he right. can do it, but I think he has to apply himself in ways that he has not had to previously. Like when we've seen him, and so I loved it when he'd go to certain towns and speak, and he'd have a piece of paper right. and talk about the problems right. in the town, right. but he can't take paper on. But he's been so, preparing for the uh, the debates, Diana, since uh, late August. We know that from Kellyanne Conway. So I think they're listening to you, because I think right. I think that sort of genius of uh, improvisation works well at rallies, um, yeah. and, and sometimes depending upon if he stays within boundaries, uh, press conferences or interactions. But no, I, I think he realizes uh, that this is the real deal. I remember months ago, which now seem like years ago, Newt Gingrich saying that he had never seen anyone who was as quick a learner as Donald Trump. 
And if he needs to go to school, which I think is what you're saying in so many words, yeah. he needs mm-hmm. to go to school. He needs to understand um, her disastrous record in detail about foreign policy, what he'd do differently. He needs to understand in detail uh, economics, uh, immigration, trade, uh, the whole Megillah. Um, I, I have a feeling that he is going to be very prepared. My my gut instinct is he just needs to tie Hillary Clinton. He he can't lose. But if it's a tie, that's a win. And maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I could be uh, to the extent that he is seen as a co-equal and, yeah. and, and that, you know, it's it's not a ridiculous choice to make when you do walk into that voting booth. So I think the stakes for her are very high. I think you're right, especially even just to get through physically, mm-hmm. literally physically, mm-hmm. it's, it's very high. Um, but he can't. He can. He could. He could absolutely destroy her in a debate mm-hmm. if he chooses to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time to do that in terms of everything from the corruption to the warmongering. I mean, right. we haven't really been talking about that as much. But one of his advisors, I believe, is uh, retired Admiral Charles Kubik, who was himself involved in an attempted truce negotiation that the Qaddafi family was attempting to engineer between um, uh, Qaddafi and America before the war in Libya began, before NATO started bombing. And the story goes, she turned it down, a flag of truce Mm -hmm. of 72 hours to Mm -hmm. see about whether they could get Qaddafi to step down without a war. She turned down. This man, I believe, is on the Trump team. This is the kind of story I think he needs to tell Mm -hmm. to the American people Mm -hmm. so that he can really project the sense of understanding how things should be different. Why these? Why is war is not the answer? Why there are other ways besides war to bring about change and and without killing people? Literally, I mean, this is where we are, right. and this is the kind of you know story that needs to go out there, that needs to add to his you know kind of gestures and and kind of uh, phraseology. You know, like the generals are rubble. Well, why are they rubble? Mm-hmm. You know, another one that I can't get over is after uh, the major Hassan. Uh, goes on a jihad at Fort Hood, the commanding general of Fort Hood, General Casey, goes on the air and laments what he fears will happen to diversity in the armed forces. Right, right. That's all the zeitgeist. This is what we have at Mm -hmm. the top of our military. This is the kind of brass that's been promoted really from the Clinton years. We go back to the Clinton years again and the tailhook scandal, which changed so much of military culture in the aftermath in a bad way in Mm -hmm. terms of who went forward to be commanders? Who went forward to fight our wars? Why our wars have gone so far awry? Why the concerns of, quote, political correctness, et cetera, et cetera, right. have turned these, these wars into tremendous defeats and wastes of blood and treasure. This is the kind of thing, it's not hard, you no. know, it's not hard, no. but this is where, you know, I want to see him, him do some studying, and I think he can do it. He's going to make you proud, Diana West. He's going to make you proud. And I am proud to have Diana West once more on Gilmore and Gus. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your thoughts and insights. You can purchase American Betrayal uh, at Amazon or any other bookstore on or offline, and you should. It is a revelation in the truest and best sense of that word. And she has suffered not uh, a few attacks on her own character because she told a tale that few have ever told about the Soviet influence in America, and it is a signal 
service that she has done us and a contribution. So for all the people who can't thank you, Diana, for that book, as well as your other work, of course, but uh, thank you for that. And thank you for coming on again. We will try to have another podcast before November 8th. You can follow Diana on Twitter at at Diana single underscore West single underscore. Diana, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, John. It's wonderful to speak with you. Talk again soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.